Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and today I've got special guest Gene Wang. Gene, it's great to have you on here. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this Georgetown podcast, everyone knows that Georgetown community is mourning the loss of John Thompson Jr., Big John, Big Coach. He was just days shy of his 79th birthday. Um, Gene and Cindy Boren wrote a great article in the Washington Post, or it's on the Washington Post website right now. Um, Gene, great, great to have you on. Uh, yeah, Bobby, good to talk to you, too. I wish you were under um, better circumstances. But, yeah, I mean, there's um, no one – there would never be another John Thompson. So I'm glad to be able to talk about some of his legacy with you. So, obviously – you know, you've you've been a Georgetown beat reporter. You've wrote you've written columns on Georgetown. You went to Georgetown. Um, if we were just on here to talk about the passing of a great college basketball coach, that would be one thing. But John Thompson Jr. is just so much more. When you went to try and write this article, how did you even get the? How did you even kind of figure out which way you're going to go because there's just so much other non-basketball stuff that this that this man was such a big part of yeah right well i mean you know i had been thinking for months and months you know one voice that's been missing in all this uh discourse about black lives matter and what's going on in, in our country right now is john thompson because he was the authoritative voice um decades ago you know yeah. about social issues about about um policies he felt were unfair to African-Americans in college basketball. Obviously, we all know that, you know, he walked off the court. Um, the protest policies he thought were basically racist. So, um, yeah, he was so, so, he was doing this, you know, decades ago. And I, I just, um, just didn't get the chance to do it, obviously, because he's been in poor health for, for months, as, um, you know, friends and family have said. So, um, but I wanted to go in that direction and talk to coaches about, Sure. I mean, they're going to talk about his basketball acumen and, and how great his teams were, and that we all know that. But just to talk about the importance of what he did for his players and, and what he did for um, underserved and, you know, African-Americans who at the time were, you know, I mean, discriminated against, obviously, um, but there was not as much of, you know, no social media, so we don't see – it was more it was more difficult to get the message out, I guess I would say. So he had to do it. Um, like Gary Williams I was talking to said at the, the, in, in the time that he was coaching, that John was coaching, um, it must have been so difficult to, to you know, do what he did and, and say what he said. Um, but, you know, John was uncompromising about it in his advocacy for his players and for African-Americans for no matter what walk of life. I mean, he was a big advocate of getting more African-American coaches in the Big East assistant coaches, um, excuse me, um, at college programs so they could become hopefully head coaches at major college programs and also for getting more referees, um, uh, African-American referees in the Big East. He felt there was a dearth of that. Um, that A couple coaches told me that. Jim Beheim mentioned that. Gary Williams, who coached Boston College from 82 to 86, you know, knows New John well, um, mentioned that too. So, Yeah. It, it, that's the direction I wanted to go in, um, kind of the social justice direction, because that's one voice we certainly have been missing over the last few months. And I totally agree with missing the voice. And obviously you can't really think Georgetown or John Thompson Jr. without the Big East and without Syracuse. And I think Jim Beheim is the first coach you have quoted. And 
he basically yeah. says that as well, right? Yeah, no, he said, you know, uh, he wishes John Thompson were still here right now because, you know, what this country needs is a voice like John Thompson. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, and, and the the relationship between those two was, I mean, it's it was amazing to watch. He, he called it the most um, unlikely friendship you probably will ever see because, <laughs> I mean, there was real, real animosity. I mean, they, you know, there was there was hatred there. I mean, it was more than distaste or dislike. I mean, they could not stand each other because they were so competitive. They both wanted to win, obviously. I mean, they both were, you know, it, it, this was in the early days of the original Big East. And, you know, these programs were coming into national prominence and they both really, it was recruiting wars and, and all, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, he said of Jim said, Beheim said eventually they became friends because, you know, they went on Nike trips together and um, they got to know each other. And I think I, one quote I had in my story was Jim Beheim said, we both realized we're not bad guys, so, yeah. you know, and, and they, you know, and, and now they, they formed a friendship that's been decades going strong over decades. And, um, you know, whenever, whenever Syracuse would come to, Capital One Arena to play Georgetown. You know, John, as you know, would always be there. Um, but Jim and um, John would talk before games and kind of talk about old times and the rivalry. And, you know, it was a really, really special friendship. John had a lot of special friendships with with his peers. And, and Jim, Jim Baham certainly was one of, uh, one of his closest friends. I was talking about this earlier with someone else. And I know I think I've tweeted about it recently, particularly when Patrick Ewing had his birthday, is that because John Thompson Jr. started coaching Georgetown at such an early age and he was there for almost 30 years, he actually retired what you might consider to be, you know, I know it's not a young man, but like from an iconic college basketball sense, he didn't retire like, you know, Dean Smith was in his 70s. I mean, I think John Thompson was 59 or 58. So we actually got to see so much of Big John. He was, you know, it'd been 20 years since he retired, you know, and I... I, he, you know, he became part of the media, which is crazy to think of, given how the Hoya paranoia went down with them, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and from you and I covering the team for so long, there was a time where, you know, I'm not sure if he was in that interview room to sort of intimidate people like us from ans- from asking stupid questions. But, yeah. you know, he was he had such an active role for so long. And it, it just it's just going to be, you know, I know he retired 20 years ago, but. It's like yeah. he's he's been there so long. It's going to be just it's just going to be so weird when there is a season at some point. Who knows when that's going to be? But to lose yeah. him, I know he's been retired for so long. But the, isn't that kind of like a, like just sort of an added like wrinkle to it? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I agree. It's funny you mentioned that because um, another coach I got to interview today, a true treasure of the sport, Lou Carnesecca, who's ninety five. Oh yeah. And yeah, we we were talking, and he's like, you know, how old was John again? And I said, you know, he was seventy eight, just a few days short of his ninetieth birthday. And Lou could not believe it. He thought he was, you know, older than that because you know he just seems like he's been around um, for much longer, like you said. But you know, we got to see him in his, in his younger days, taking over a program that was nothing, you know, and building it into you know um, a nationally important, nationally relevant um, basketball powerhouse. So yeah, um, it's. There is no, we know that there is no Georgetown basketball program without John Thompson. And, you know, he cared so much about um, the, not just the basketball team, but the school, um, people who went there. You know, I was a student there and it was, I got to tell you, it was one of the scariest things um, I in my life as a journalist to, when I interviewed <laughs> him for the first time. And, you know, it's just so intimidating and 
you know, you're a college student and you're interviewing this icon who's, you know, 6'10", almost 300 pounds. I mean, like, it's it's what you would imagine, um, you know, an 18-year-old college student would feel like <laughs> talking to that man. And But, you know, and I tweeted this, too, years later, um, decades later, you know, when we'd see each other at in the NCAA tournament, the Final Four, what have you, we would always ask how I was doing and, you know, my family, and, you know, we would just, we would chat. So um, that's, like... To, to interview him and, and to get that, to kind of prepared me for any other interview I would have. I mean, he kind of set the standard in terms of if you can have, you can speak with John at a, at a press conference or a one-on-one, you can probably interview anyone else for the rest of your life. So I always remember him for that. Um, but yeah, his it, it, to go to a game this season, whenever, whenever, and if it happens, and to know that John um, won't ever be there again. I mean, that's, it's going to be a very surreal feeling. You're, you're so right on that. Now, obviously, there's, you know, Georgetown, particularly in the 80s, you know, I think they won 80% of their games. He won six Big East tournaments. They went to three Final Fours. You know, they could arguably easily, not easily, but they could arguably have three national championships. They got the one. Oh, yeah. So yeah. many pros. So, okay, there's, like I said, there's guys with more wins. There's guys with more championships. But... Do you think if you're building sort of like a Mount Rushmore of college basketball, particularly in, you know, from cable TV on, it'd be sort of hard not to include him? Yes. It, it, um, and I think it's not, and you, you mentioned this earlier uh, at the beginning of our conversation that, you know, if you're just talking about him as a basketball coach, I mean, that's already so much to unpack. But um, right. to talk about what he meant, um just not just the number of wins and the final fours and the national championship and big East tournament title, all that should beyond that. Um, his influence, there's impact on the game in general and coaches. I mean, coaches, um, dozens, hundreds probably of coaches that he's had an impact on in college basketball and not even ones that are necessarily associated with Georgetown. Um, Roy Williams, you know, he was an assistant with Dean Smith and Dean obviously was one of, John's closest friends that became great friends who is probably as close to him as Jim Beheim was. Um, probably, I guess it's too, I would say in the coaching business, they were his two closest friends. Um, and, you know, Roy had kind of a great vantage point to see that relationship develop. And John was at practices sometimes and, and, you know, Roy would, would, would listen to him and, and Dean talk and, you know, you know, just the wisdom would, would rub off on him and, he said that, you know, everything that he does is from Dean Smith, but there are three other coaches that he considers maybe one step down in terms of how much respect he has and, you know, for them. And John Thompson is one of them. The other two are um, Jerry Tartani and Bobby Knight. So that's pretty good company. And, you know, he, Roy said he loved John Thompson. And, and it's just what he stood for and doing things the right way and, and putting social issues and, and – what he thought were racist policies to, to, you know, to the forefront when a lot of coaches weren't doing that. They either they were afraid to do that or didn't want to rock the boat or whatever. I mean, John was never afraid to speak his mind. And I know his players were um, one of the many reasons they loved him um, was because of that. The Thompson Center has been open for four yep. or five years now. Um, yep. My personal opinion, I think too often in life, we acknowledge people after they've passed on and, you know, people get buildings and statues and awards, you know, posts. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, 
you know, how, how I don't know if you talked to anyone about this, but just the idea of, you know, how important you think it was that he was, you know, got to experience that, got to take advantage of it, got to, whether he liked it or not, I think there's some funny quotes about he felt that the statue maybe was too big or too small, or I can't remember exactly, but, you know, right. how, I know he's probably never going to say that, but you talk to anyone that was just sort of, you know, how much that meant that he, obviously he, he put Georgetown in a place that just doesn't make sense. The fact that they are what they are is, you know, mainly mostly almost basically all because of him but just the idea that he did get to enjoy the thompson center yeah no no no. i think that's a great it's a great great point um i remember um i didn't speak to any coaches today on that but i remember talking with john thompson the third about it and not just the day of the dedication but even before that and even after that about how um honored that his dad felt and the family in, in general the thompson family in general felt um, that he would have a center name for him at, at Georgetown. And, and just, you know, so he could see that when he was still alive and he could see, you know, all of his former players, how much um, he meant to them. You know, we know Patrick Ewing donated a lot of money. Other former players donated a, a lot of money. Um, and just, you know, to have that family back when with him, you know, when he was healthier and, and could appreciate it. Um, I know really meant a lot to him. I talked to John on the day that, you know, he was dedicated and he, he said that, you know, he never expected this. And um, like in his wildest dreams, he couldn't have imagined something like this. And um, yeah, it was certainly a memorable day when they dedicated the Thompson Center. And um, That's the other thing coaches um, I spoke to today really wanted to talk about was his players and how much, you know, he meant to his players and you know sure coaches mean a lot to the players but i think john was a little different because you know when you have a all african-american roster um that during a time when that wasn't common at least not beyond hbcu schools you know um it, it it really um that really resonated with a lot of coaches so um yeah i i think the connection with his players, Alan Iverson, we know, Patrick Ewing, we know, Alonzo, Dikembe, all those guys. Um, I mean, I think that's as close a bond between players and coach as, as you'll ever see at any program at any time during the history of college basketball. You bring up Alan Iverson and obviously what, you know, that's just such a generational, he's just, he's such an important player. And he kind of came along right at the end of Big John, may, maybe gave Big John a shot in the arm right there yep. in the last in the last couple of years ai as we know very passionate but he's not sort of always out there speaking so he came in today he chimed in which is you know very unusual for him um you know how much do you think that relationship did i mean obviously it completely you know it really benefited ai but how much do you think it kind of recharged big john yeah i mean certainly you know he was always known for recruiting great big men right i mean great centers yeah. we mentioned all those all, that list goes on and on after patrick and dikembe and alonzo and you know ad infinitum but to get a guard like that to come to your program i mean yeah that was certainly um i remember it was a big big deal i remember i covered um alan iverson's first game when he was at mcdonough in the summer league and you know it was a packed house like you couldn't get in it was just crazy to see how many people would come to see this guy you know play and you know it, it just it's another example of of yeah it certainly energized john and you know the duels that alan had with with um 
Ray Allen. I mean, it was just, they were just incredible. And, and, you know, but that was another example of John um, advocating for social justice in his way, because, you know, we know the, we know the story about Allen Iverson, right? And he was convicted at the time of three felony counts of maiming by mob. They were overturned later when he was at Georgetown and appeals court overturned them. So, you know, when other programs shied away, they, they, they ceased their recruitment of Allen Iverson because of, because of this. John said, yeah, you, you can come and play for my program because I believe you. I believe in you. I believe in your family. And, um, yeah, and we know, you know, the rest is history. Allen Iverson became one of the greatest NBA players in the history of the league, you know, and, and his, his, his Hall of Fame speech, which I'm sure you recall, like he got tearful when he talked about John Thompson and, and said that he saved his life. And, you know, I don't think that's an exaggeration. No, I think, I think that he did, you know, and it was, it was, it was, like I said, it was, it was, you know, it, it, it was life-saving for Allen and for Big John. It also gave him another, you know, another young person to help and to guide and to say, look, I don't, you, you know, you don't need to be wasting this kind of potential you have in your life, not just basketball wise, but just as, as, as a young man. And, um, you know, for me, I wasn't really old enough to appreciate the 80s. I got, I kind of came on as a fan in the late 80s with Alonzo. So I missed, right. you know, when they were just completely, they were just, you know, the Darth Vader of college basketball, I think. You know, the, you know they, they, when they came in, you were in trouble. Um, yeah. But I got to be a part of the Iverson when I, was, when I was in high school and stuff. And it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty unbelievable. Um, there's just so many names. I mean, basically, this article is just kind of like, if best I would describe it, I encourage everyone, if you don't have the Washington Post, you should absolutely have the Washington Post, and you need to read this. Liz Clark wrote something as well about John Thompson yes, Jr. Did. today, who we know mm-hmm. has been on the beat, but this this is a really good story. Um, you know, we can't talk for five hours. We easily could. We could talk for longer. But when you're writing this story, I got some things written down. You know, Iverson was one of them. What do you do with Prop 48? There's the infamous um, meeting with Rafael Edmond when he was dealing with, you know, mess around with some of his players, Georgetown branding on the clothing, all these things that are just, you know, it's just sort of unbelievable that they all kind of came together and they were all successfully navigated. What was kind of the most, obviously it's not fun to write an article like this, but in sort of a, you know, um, sort of a way to deal with, you know, such sadness, like what was sort of the most, I guess I will say it, the most fun thing to kind of like the topic or what was, you know, to talk to coaches about what was, what was the best part? Um, you know, I, it was funny. Gary Williams mentioned this too. And a couple others did too, about how Georgetown was, you know, a cultural touchstone in the eighties. And I think people who of a, of a younger generation or two, you know, weren't around to see it, but um, how much of a national deal they were. It was just, and I remember I was, I was growing up then, you know, you would see, um, Ice Cube wear Georgetown gear, you know, yeah. run DMC, talk about wearing Georgetown gear. I mean, it was really cool to be a Georgetown fan, you know, and that just, that transcends basketball. I mean, that's what John did. It transcended basketball. And that's what so many of the coaches I spoke with said. And to me, that was really interesting because they, you know, they, yeah, they talked about his defense and, you know, the, the, how the pressure and it was going to be 94 feet. You never could take a second off, you know, playing right. at Georgetown. We, yeah, we all know that. But <laughs> to, to, to talk about the man, um, and, and and building that program from nothing into something that's so culturally relevant, you know, and, and 
so embraced by the by the African American community and, and just by college basketball fans in general, um, and, and building the Big East. Just it was a lot of discussion about um, non really off the court stuff. And I know you mentioned it earlier, and you know to me that was the most fascinating part is hearing coaches who um, were impacted by him who you might not think were otherwise like Tom Izzo. I mean he. Tom Izzo said, you know, he watched, he remembers vividly watching John Thompson walk off the court against Boston College, and he said to himself, you know, good for you, John. I wish a lot of other coaches had the courage to do what you did. I mean, that's just stuff that's really, really speaks a lot about the respect that he's um, engendered throughout the the industry by all his peers. Yeah, um, you know, I know that you didn't cover the team full time this year, but I know you were definitely out there, um, and I don't want to say you knew it was coming, but, you know, we obviously, we knew that he wasn't feeling well. And, sure. you know, I, you know, when you get to be of a certain age and you start to, you know, worry about people and check on people, um, yeah. the news, obviously today, when I woke up, I'd had people texting me from five in the morning. Luckily I was not up at five. Um, <laughs> I was still asleep. My kid was still asleep. Everything was, you know, working good, but um, yeah. it, I think it's, you know, it doesn't lessen the blow um, I post, you know, I tweeted out a picture of myself and John Thompson Jr. when I was in high school and I was at the banquet and you kind of go over yep. there and you try and you try and talk to him. Um, he was very, very, um, very nice and gentle person to talk to in that moment. I wouldn't have wanted to have been an opposing coach. Um, but I think I think that this news is still we're obviously in a weird time with COVID and all those things. But I think it will get pretty misty in the building when there's a Georgetown game. And Big John's not there, you know. I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough to deal with. But I really want to thank you for coming on. It was, I know it was short notice, and all this stuff is just going. It's just, you know, it's it's hard to deal with. But I thought the Washington Post, particularly you, you guys did a great job today. Follow Gene Gene at underscore Wang, I believe it is. Yes, G yeah G E N E underscore W A N G. Correct. That's great, and um, Gene. I want to wish you the best as we're all going through this COVID time. And I hope at some point to see you soon, although we have no idea when that might be. (laughs) Bobby, yes, it was a pleasure. Um, Enjoyed being with you. Enjoyed kind of sharing some memories about John, who I I just admired so much. I mean, sure, from a journalistic perspective, it's incredible to cover. But, you know, as a student there, it was, I mean, it was one of the great joys I had to, to watch his teams. And just one I'll kind of end on one personal note, okay. which I put on Twitter, that my family, you know, they're Chinese immigrants, and they and they arrived in this country with very little knowledge. I would no knowledge of American sports, um, and not much interest either, for that matter. And they both ended up being professors at Georgetown, and they learned all about John Thompson, and ended up probably never missing a single game, a Hoyas game on TV. So, I mean, his impact goes as far as I mean, something small like that, but. You know, that just speaks to the the measure of the man. And um, it just, it's a great loss. That's all. It's a great loss. Yeah. I hope I didn't take for granted the last 10 years being able to cover the Hoyas as someone that was a longtime fan and he was always around. Um, right. right. I, I don't want to say exactly. I took that for granted, but we have had literally uh, a national resource that's just been available at Georgetown. And I don't want to say that there's never going to be another guy like Big John, um, because the world, the world, the world needs them, but yeah. he will absolutely be very difficult to replace. Yeah, well put, well said. 
All right, Gene, I want to thank you for coming on Kente Corner. And like I said, we will definitely have to have you back. But thanks for coming on for this this uh, emergency slash special podcast. You got it, Bobby. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Gene. Cool, man.